0: Welcome to the My Life is the Medicine Podcast, where we get off the never-ending search for more and take an inward gaze to find how our lives have already taught us profound truths. Rather than turning outward to experts or gurus, we talk with ordinary people and reflect inwardly about the life journey and everything felt, thought, and experienced along the way. Join us in casual conversation and reflective dialogue to discover how simply living a normal life, reflecting on our own life experiences, has already given us all the expertise we need. Hosted by Chuck Hancock, an ordinary human who has lived life in many roles, like psychotherapist, software engineer, school teacher, orphan, adoptee, father, brother, mentor, coach, ceremonialist, and more. Chuck is a weaver of wisdom from modern day psychology to ancient wisdom of indigenous and European roots, creating alchemy from everyday modern American life. Thank you for listening to my life is the medicine. We hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life. Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common, ordinary experiences And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might have inspired you to think about how your life, too, is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life, too, is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others, we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode. And if not, that's okay, too. We hope you'll continue listening, keep reflecting, and help you see how your life, too, is the medicine. Take good care, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today in the second part of our conversation with our guest. If you missed the first part of the conversation, you might want to go back and listen to that one first or at very least read the show notes so you know who it is that we're talking to. But I think that you'd be really well served to check out that first episode. So if you haven't heard that one yet, go back one episode and listen to the first part of the conversation to hear the foundation of where we're coming from, and then come back to this one to dive into the rest of our conversation, exploring how our guest's life has provided them with so much medicine for their own life and the rest of the people that share it with them. So don't miss the backstory. Go check that out and come back. We'll be here. And if you're ready, here we go. So there's a couple other roads that you've kind of opened up here. If you want to go down um, both like interest in sexuality and, and roots of that as well as psychedelics and more down spirituality, maybe those two are a little connected. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, what's What's got your curiosity right now as we're chatting? <laughs>
1: I like those those paths. Yeah, I wanna, I, yeah, I want to see which one you take me down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I know sexuality is an interest of yours professionally, and it's a shared interest of both of ours. And I'm I'm curious. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, you, um, yeah, I don't know how. Do, you mentioned Vegas. Maybe that's part of it. Um, <laughs> nah. <laughs> Little old Las Vegas. Yeah. Um,
1: so, yeah, if we got, you know, I'm an MFT, so I got to always go back to childhood. Great. Um, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I grew up, as I said, with a single mother, but also my, I like to say my nuclear family was my my mom, my two aunts, and my two female cousins. We would kind of gather a lot. Um, and so I was the lone male and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's funny, we could talk about that later of just, it's funny cause I sometimes will like to think about going from that family up of, of origin to then the military, very male dominated to then MFT grad school where I was again, the lone male with 13 females in my mm-hmm. cohort. So it's just this funny kind of bookend feminine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll see what the rest of life brings, but, um, uh, yeah. And I recall just, you know, seeing my mom, she would have, you know, various boyfriends come in and out of life. She was married for three months. We lived in New York. Uh, um, anyways, uh, and then, yeah, my other, my other aunt, Aunt Linda, she, um, She divorced early on, and I didn't really see her date much. Um, And then my other aunt, Denise, um, I never ever saw her have a partner. Um, And I remember just always kind of being like, what is going on in my family with relationships, you know? Whether or not, just being like, what is going on here? And so I think that planted some seeds of wanting to just understand more about what's going on in the world of relationships and in my, through my nuclear family lens, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I definitely struggled uh, in dating uh, in high school. and I didn't have any sexual experiences actually until after basic training um, mm. and did not date anyone until, until that same time. And it wasn't because I didn't want to. It's because I was terrified and didn't know how to, <laughs> how to talk to him. I was pretty dang shy. I didn't talk much. Um, I had, you know, a few friends. But anyway, um, yeah. And so that always left to me to seek out uh, kind of what I could find online um, mm. for guidance in that in that realm. I found... Yeah, Mark Manson also kind of talks a lot about sexuality and relationships, but also Hernando Chavez is an MFT out in California. Uh, he writes for Ask Men, hmm. um, and you know I like to brag. My mom will appreciate this. She, she you know found out that I was watching porn, and she had a little conversation with me about. You know, hey Mark, it's totally fine that you're doing that, and I just want you to be exposed. And she gave me a Playboy, and <laughs> she's like, "I really appreciate how they try to portray women just in a in, in a beautiful way." And that was her, you know, trying to just show. Which is funny because someone else could probably told see Playboy is not that, but sure. Um, yeah. And I just remember that being like, you know, it was one of those standard adolescent convos of like, "Yeah, okay, cool, bye." But <laughs> still, I remember being like, "Wow, I was ne- not expecting that." And so my mom definitely had layers of being sex positive now that i have that terminology that i can reflect on and um and so it wasn't yeah in undergrad i just remember yeah really wrestling with my sexuality and seeing all these really gorgeous women with really really short shorts walking around <laughs> the las vegas campus right and being extremely overwhelmed by how do i stay present Mm. while seeing this landscape um and how do i like how do i uh yeah date one woman and not want to go and meet others was a question early on and Mm. how do i you know feel like i know yeah when to commit and uh when i'm still barely learning how to date you know so it was just and. And at the same time, right, I'm in these classes, and I took Evolution of Human Sexual Behavior Hmm. with Dr. Peter Gray, uh, one of my favorite professors. And um, uh, around this same time, I had found Sex at Dawn. Oh, yeah. And that gave me that perspective, and I just, it really resonated. Uh, I was like, oh, my God. And then I took primatology uh, and learned more about bonobos and chimps, and I wrote a paper um, about you know, so they're both our common ancestors around six million years ago, yet they have these extremely different environments um, mm. separated by a mountain range. Um, and the chimps compete with. Have you read Sex at Dawn? Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. Okay. And I just was fascinated by how the ecology, the environment of chimps and gorillas competing with one another led to more competition and struggle for resources, which also led to them being patriarchal the mm-hmm. chimps and thus using violence as a way to ascend the social hierarchy to gain power and access to mates and resources. Whereas bonobos, uh, had much more plentiful access to resources, much more. And thus much more, um, the feet, they're matriarchal and the females use sexuality to, as a way to bond, uh, but also to check male violence. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're known to have genital, genital rubbing between, males and males females and females males like they have a lot more posi- they have the face to face interactions unlike just the dorsal ventral um mating of of chimps so it's like wow what's going on with these two ancestors that are so similar yet right. so different culturally right and that to me feels very important in how we understand ourselves mm-hmm. and especially where we're at in this time in
0: our cultural evolution sure um Well, and just some of the life experiences that you've shared so far, my guess is like you actually have seen both of those (laughs) mating patterns or relationship Mm. patterns play out in your own world, haven't you? And take
1: it, yeah, that takes me back to Las Vegas, as you said, I, you know, was setting these courses and then going out and my vice, I like to party and I found EDM, even though I was not doing psychedelics or anything at this time, I still the base (laughs) Uh and yeah and the you know sexy stimulating environment it i think i could nerd out on that i think it kind of helped me to reach that kind of level of adrenaline that Mm -hmm. i had just come back from from afghanistan because i was 21 i turned 21 over there and then came back and had the whole you know but i moved there at 10 to las vegas and i was like finally i can play in this city (laughs) that right has been waiting right and uh so I would, you know, study sexuality and then I'd go and I'd see the world's, as I like to say, the sexual suppression mm. all come out in Sin City mm. in my backyard. Mm. And I'd see how that would play out um, between men and women, the power dynamics and the nightclub dynamics and how that shaped, you know, the roles and the interactions and. I'm still trying to learn how to navigate dating and Mm. uh, this is also the time I started learning how to dance and uh, would do shuffling and dancing in the middle of the dance floor and have, you know, these crazy experiences of getting invited into bachelorette parties and whatever groups and because of my flaunting dancing craziness, but (laughs) then still really struggling, um, to form the committed relationship or relationships, you know something more. You know, I mean, half of them are tourists, and but right, uh, but I would also question, like, okay, well, what is coming out here that people are coming here to express some part of themselves that they feel they can't when they're back home, mm-hmm. and they're given this permission here, right? When really that's just them telling themselves in their head. We're all agreeing that we can let that out here. It's mm. like, well, maybe, maybe that has something to do. With this struggle that I'm seeing in relationships, in monogamy, Hmm. people not being honest about what it is they want to do sexually right, and feeling like they have to close off parts of
0: themselves and then that running its course. Right, right. Yeah, so you kind of grew up in this unique um, environment that was kind of outside of the norm of most of the rest of the country. And even within that container, like I'm, I'm hearing you kind of, share both stories of of the primates both like the <laughs> the females that have a lot of resources and can you know do as they please as well as the competitive male uh type primates uh playing out in las vegas both it's all there
1: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. so yeah in that same evolution of human sexual behavior class in undergrad with peter uh this gentleman comes up to me and he's like he just hears my questions and my in the conversational space and he's like, Mark, can I take you out to lunch? And totally. Um, and he tells me about him and his wife who've been swingers for 10 years. Hmm. And I was just, that was the first time I really kind of learned of that lifestyle and it blew my mind wide open. I was like, what you're able to honestly communicate your attraction to other women. And she talks to you about other men, like, Mm. and it doesn't lead to jealousy and turmoil. And like, tell me more like how do you do that and you've been doing it for 10 years like oh my god you know and so that definitely led to some shifts in my sexuality and my psychology at the same time and i had a, a girlfriend at this time and i started really imagining those scenarios more and getting aroused by them whether it was me with other women or my partner with other men and like that kind of started um but then there was this like oh man i'm that feels also really weird and different and like i don't hear much people talking about that what is that what you know mm. how does that relate to my masculinity or my upbringing or what? you know there's all right. those questions around what's healthy what's not and what's what do i want versus you know what's a coming from a wounded place was always the dilemma and I, that's how i think that that connects to that moral injury experience. Mm. I, and that's something I hope to share at this love after war conference, uh, um, or is that just moment of reckoning in terms of all those deep questions of myself and how like my, you know, that the inner conflict and the loss of trust in self in that Mm. moment and how that kind of radiated out into my feeling of, do I trust myself and my intuition in what I'm d- drawn to and attracted to and who I'm
0: getting into relationship with for ma- for many years. Hmm. Yeah. I'm just really sensing into what you're saying there. I think it's a really common experience when we betray ourselves, we lose trust in ourselves mm-hmm. and your particular story being one of war and, um, some of the things that you've experienced it was pretty large um, betrayal and loss of trust seems like not just like I slept with someone I didn't want to but um, yeah major life shifting experience for you yes yeah
1: yes and that's something that when I became a therapist um (laughs) was all going on underneath, you know? Like, starting Mm. to just churn. And, but boy, I didn't, you know, I was just consumed with the fire hose of information and of busyness to really sit and explore that. But, and then, and then I worked the last three years as my main position after grad school at the Health Network. And, um, yeah, it was beautiful continuing education. We would, you know, have diversity dialogues, and talk about the experiences of marginalized populations, and we talk about you know I was still working there when COVID happened, and and with all the race riots going on and Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter, and so we would definitely bring that into our meetings, and um and it would bring up a lot for me, and when the, you know there'd be conversations about police, and I would I would definitely I was in military police, right, and right. so. I'd be sitting there and being like, wow, I just was this, what you're calling, I am this white male who was an oppressive soldier, MP, and now I'm here with y'all as a healer. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting with both of those parts Mm -hmm. really strongly, and and I don't like to keep quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it, it was very difficult chuck it was very difficult i believe it um i did not feel safe a lot i believe it uh to be even just there but i (laughs) uh, have a value for speaking my truth as much as i can and i remember this well This time forced me to really sit with these two, what I perceived this this conflict and this competition in my identity, to really and and I would process it with my supervisors and in therapy and with family and friends and uh, but you know for a long time I found myself feeling like I was being devil's advocate no matter where I was and mm. I've and and so whether I was with peers of therapists. And I'd be speaking for the voice that wasn't in the room, in mm-hmm. the with the dominant, more social justice lens. Mm-hmm. Although I fully freaking agree, like right. I felt like I had to speak from that other experience that I had as a soldier, and and knowing those other people, and and although I am much more liberal and identified with the majority in that therapist meeting, I was I would hear the the assumptions in the room and the like labeling and, and more of the like dehumanizing and more. And I was like, right. Fuck. No. Yeah. Like our job is to be curious to understand how people got to where they are mm-hmm. and how their environment and where they grew up shapes, their values and shapes, how they vote and shapes, how they, w- what their priorities are in life. And for us to assume what that means about these people, we are doing a disservice. That's right. And we are not, sending a message that all are welcome in this in this space Mm -hmm. in in therapy right if if that's going to be the dominant discourse Right. right and uh and then i'd go and i'd hang out with you know a lot of my veteran friends or military or more you know some some are more conservative and and then I'd find myself being the social justice advocate mm-hmm. and playing devil's advocate with them, you know? And so right. it's just like, fuck, I don't belong anywhere. I'm just <laughs> pissing everyone off, but trying to do it out of a good, knowing it's coming from a good place, uh-huh. you know? But, yeah, so that, but Michelle Ferris really helped me in c- talking about that hmm. to really, you know, see the the continuity of values between my soldier identity and my therapist identity. Mm Yeah. well, that's beautiful. Instead of seeing it
0: as these separate pieces. Right. Well, good on you because, yeah, you could have very easily hidden your soldier and police identity to fit in and be like, yeah, social justice with all the other therapists. Um, (laughs) But you stayed with it. Tremendous amount of strength.
1: I'm wondering, I'm, Go ahead. If, I'm wondering if, as you said that, I'm like, I'm wondering if it's clear what it was that I was kind of calling out or feeling uncomfortable by, as you just said that, like, yeah, social justice, because like, yeah, hell yeah, social justice, and... yes. And you know there was a comment, and I'm not going to name who, but there was a comment when the election for Trump was unfolding uh, about, "Wow, I can't believe our nation is this racist."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's like, yes, we have a lot to do, oh, a lot of work to do in that department, no doubts. And your assumption that all of those Trump voters are racist as their primary like motivation. Talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater and not right. being curious around like what else it is that that means in the 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 half of our country that's aligned with that. Right. Like, and I said in that moment, I was like, "Wow, I feel like I'm back in Afghanistan in a meeting." This was like before wow. a meeting. I was like, I was like, I want you to know that I I have this heat going through me and my palms are so, like I feel like I'm back in war. Wow. And I and I thought we're therapists. Hmm
0: well, that's the strength I'm talking about, Mark. Giving voice to the voiceless, uh, whether it's speaking up for minorities amongst, you know, people that don't quite understand or it's speaking up for Trump supporters or police or military among ultra-liberal. Like, have you he- Thank you. Uh, have, yeah. have you heard of
1: Thomas Hubel and uh, his work uh, yeah. Healing Collective Trauma? Mm-hmm. Loved his book. Yeah. And he speaks eloquently to, you know, he does those collective trauma integration process groups in Mm. Germany and in America around racism and around Nazi history. And, and he speaks to the like waves that you have to work through in terms of those natural collective avoidance, numbing, blocking to going to this difficult material. Right. And how there's a wisdom to, just like our parts in an IFS lens of mm. the individual collectively, there's a wisdom to how we navigate these conversations and how we evolve together mm. and how he holds space and allows for there to be this movement of energy um, to allow for a new emergent kind of truth and healing in a, to arise. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm getting too heady here, but like, That's, I think, (laughs) what we're learning as a nation, right? Is Hmm. how do we evolve together, and how do we trust in all of our parts, right? And and move at a pace. Like, I, I, and and I'm sitting with the pain of all those who, like, are oppressed and experiencing the wounds of being marginalized and being uh, beaten and killed in the streets, while. Also, I'm curious about what, how do we evolve together in ways that there's less like, you're the fucking enemy again, you're the enemy again, and rather, how do we learn from everyone's magic, As that, that that's what's so beautiful about this podcast, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I lost myself there a little bit, but.
0: Mm. Well, I I think you're speaking to the process a lot. And that's actually a question that I was going to ask you is like, I heard you say that Michelle helped you to see how the values of your military service and Mm. being a therapist are the same. And yet I still felt like maybe there's something undigested about, and maybe the way the energy is moving or needs to move. And I don't know if it's just in the space you're talking about or in your own life. Is that making sense? What I'm saying? Like, in a way of like, um, how do you see yourself orienting to this energy now, having gone through this process um, that you're just talking about?
1: Well, to bring us back to the start of the conversation, it's um, yeah, the being a voice of my you know stepping into that vulnerability. And being a voice of my change process mm-hmm. whether it's this podcast or this upcoming Love Love After War film screening because you know I share with you that Thit Han uh quote about veterans being the light at the tip of the candle mm-hmm. and um, although we all who have experienced trauma are the light at the tip of the candle for illuminating the path to change and um, so yeah, this is one way besides being a therapist that I'm trying to disclose and model a conversation about my journey of transformation so that it makes it a little bit more helpful or easier or insightful for someone else who might be in that same journey, but mm. um. And I, yeah, I'm thinking about that At Hell's Gate book that I mentioned earlier, and how uh, the author Claude Anchin Thomas he talks about, you know, the intergenerational differences. So like World War II, they came back, and all the veterans were this culturally they're they're this they're this hero that won the war, hmm. and so that shapes the cult, the societal narrative that they feel it's permission to express. So they kind of talk about the glorification of their experiences and might um although not everyone but you know they they tended to speak to the pride and to the adventures and what have you and whereas and so then the the kids of those fathers or those those soldiers or service members you know are, are hearing that and then um skipping ahead to like vietnam and they come back and society shuns them and just totally um makes it so that they feel like they have to totally be alone with their their trauma and many of them rightfully so given their experience of returning to our nation uh, don't say much mm-hmm. i remember a friend's dad of mine uh growing up and i remember him saying like you don't want to do that but <laughs> didn't really say why like, Mm -hmm. in terms of joining the military, just, like, and he was in Vietnam, and, and, yeah, so here we are, and, you know, I went to Vietnam in my travels, and I went to the Vietnam War Museum, and that was one of the the very most difficult days of my travel, was walking around that museum and seeing the victims of Agent Orange and uh, seeing the letters from, Um, American veterans talking about their sadness for what they participated in. And then hearing the casual conversations of those around me in the museum, many Europeans talking about like, oh, these Americans and blah, 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 you know, and just, and it just hit me like, wow, I just lived that in Afghanistan in terms of being like that. Like it's another, it's another Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And I just cried and cried and cried. Hmm. And, um, I was, and so, yeah, I, I, <laughs> Take your time. that I want to do what I can to shine a light because we as a nation have a lot to learn Absolutely. as young as we are in the world. And I hope that I can be you know, inspire other veterans to open up about their experience. Not only so that they can release and heal and get back to, you know, playfulness and aliveness in their life, but also so that we can all grow from this last twenty year war. Yeah. In the ways that we need to. Absolutely. Mm. Mm-hmm. No matter if you've known from the beginning that you didn't want us to go to that war, as uh Thit Nhat Hanh speaks to, like, all of us are responsible because of our lifestyle, hmm. regardless of if you vote for or against war, you're still a part of this nation that sent those soldiers, service members, pardon me. And so we all have a lot to learn from one another so that we can find new ways of uh, (laughs) international relations and Mm. figuring out how to be on this planet together. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. These last few minutes, I hear you really speaking from your heart about the impact of othering, no matter which way it goes. Yeah. And again, I want to these words like keep coming up for me, you know, like uh, thank you for your service, but not in the way that I think it's used colloquially in our country, you know, as I've gotten to talk to you today, Mark. It's like thank you for your service of continuing to ask these questions and thank you for your service of looking deep inside and Thank you for your service of not just settling for the status quo, but continuing to wonder, like, gosh, how else could we be doing this in terms of family and relationship and military and therapy? And, uh, like, it's, it's, it's the most important service, I feel like. Um, and thank you for your service of going and being in the service and sharing about your experience honestly and vulnerably like you have with us. And I know that you do with many others in your world. So
1: You're welcome. And thank you Hmm. for this space to um, continue that
0: service. Yeah i going to need to wrap up pretty soon here, but I'm just wondering if you want to take a moment and kind of check inside and just see if there's anything else that really got stirred or opened today that needs at least a little bit of voice before we close.
1: This is my lens right now at 31. Hmm. Boy, has fatherhood shaken up a lot in the last few years. But, um you know, I, I heard someone speaking to the, the power of recordings being this, you know, thing that transcends time. Right. <laughs> you know, in terms of the impact of our energy and our words in this moment and how that it's time traveling for the listeners to come in the future and you know that there's anything I said here today that offended you or stirred things up in you or you Chuck or you the audience or whoever um, I welcome further conversation Hmm. and further evolution and further challenging of my narrative and my perspective as this is where I'm at today but I don't know where I'll be by the time maybe you and I encounter each other again Hmm. and uh, I'm excited to see when our paths cross again
0: (laughs) yeah me too, and thank you for those words of wisdom of naming them. This is where you're at today, you know, on this cold, gray January <laughs> 2022 20, day at age 31 years old. <laughs> um, yeah, because that does take us right back to the beginning of the conversation when I asked you to orient, um, and that's where you're at today, and, and you've, Traversed a lot of journey, a lot of life already in these thirty-one years, and um, and to continue to reflect like you're doing is exactly my hope for us all, and why I'm doing this podcast. And I want to, you know, just really honor you, Mark, because. Um, what I've heard today is is a really profound journey like uh, it's a journey that's bigger than the average person in this world ever takes um, this journey of being a struggling, lost adolescent you know that's not uncommon. I think that's all adolescence, but one that didn't have a father present and one that didn't know how to relate to women despite being <laughs> raised by women, mm-hmm. to, you know, going off into the military and being fully immersed, heart, mind, body, and soul in this hyper masculine military world uh, to learn about masculinity. And yes, of course, there was moral injury that happened. Um, but that you came back and are able to willing and able and willing to talk about it and share and peel back those layers of your heart again and again and again so that you can relate to your partner Joy and you can relate to your daughter Aspen and your sons. Yeah. It's an amazing journey. And. Mm. Seeing the look on your face and the water in your eyes, I know that it's not one that you're taking intellectually. It's one that you're taking full contact. Yeah. May we all be blessed with a journey like that and the willingness to show up like you're showing up. Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing all this with us today.
1: Thank you. May we all yeah, have the opportunity to Connect with our inner masculine and feminine and embrace those hands and experience the the healing and beauty that comes through that process.
0: May it be so. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Chuck.
0: Thank you for listening to My Life is the Medicine. We hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life. Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common ordinary experiences. And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might've inspired you to think about how your life too is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life too is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode and if not that's okay too we hope you'll continue listening keep reflecting and help you see how your life too is the medicine take good care and we'll see you next time